This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Here we are in week two of the coronavirus quarantine, and I say that with air quotes because not necessarily a quarantine yet, but we're getting there. Oh, but it's, week two, it's getting there. It's uh, it's yeah, it's it's happening. <laughs> I have not shaved yet. I shaved yesterday. I, I I bit the bullet and shaved yesterday. I'm gonna have to. I'm just lazy and don't want to get off the couch. Yeah. Are you drinking out of a bottle today, or are you drinking out of a can today? Because I know that was a big thing last episode. You had a, you had a bottle. I actually have nothing here. It's a bottle of vodka you have next nothing? to me. Uh, uh, ooh, I mean, I don't know. I'm drinking a Steel Reserve slushy. So, um, yeah, I think I might just be going dry today. To each their own, I guess. A little role reversal here for us at the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> but welcome to the tip of the iceberg. This is episode 51. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. 34 podcasts now, including Ooh. the House of Hockey podcast, so everybody go and check them out. My name is Nick Borlansky. I am joined, as always, by Nicholas J. Horwat. How are you today, Nick? Had to do the uh, the old work-from-home shift this morning. And, no, how uh, was that? Slow. I, shockingly. There wasn't <laughs> much news today. On Sundays? No, not usually. I mean, there's also no news when no one's leaving the house, so... Yeah, that, that's very true. Breaking but, news, I saw a squirrel. That's basically all of it. Yeah, and the and the numbers increase. That's about it. That's the only news we're getting until this all settles down. Yeah, until somebody makes a breakthrough somewhere. But yeah. there is one thing that is new with the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole, which also includes, of course, the tip of the iceberg. We will be going down to just one episode a week, and I know everybody's saying, well, how are we going to continue to do the March of the Penguins Madness? We're going to continue it. It's just going to take a little longer than we expected. Yeah, uh, it's now just going to be a grind, so everyone strap in. Uh, we're here for the long haul, apparently. Yeah, we are just getting started with that, and that is something that we will talk about a little bit later in this episode. But before we get to that, whenever you're quarantined or self-quarantined or social distancing or whatever freaking label they want to put on it, whatever you're at home by yourself and not around other people, what are some things you do, Horwat? What do I do? Just chill. Xbox. I was about to say, besides drink. No. I'd play Xbox, watch Netflix, Hulu. Exactly. Uh, try and write. One big thing you could do, especially if you're missing hockey as much as me, and I'm guessing you are, Horwat, mm -hmm. you can always watch a hockey movie. Yeah. So my big question is, what is the best hockey movie? Now, I guess you could say, what is your favorite? But no, what is the best hockey movie out there? That's so hard to answer. I feel like we've had, to, had a discussion like this before. I'd have to say my answer for best, not favorite, maybe favorite, but best, the way I see it, is Miracle. Because it was more than just a hockey movie. They made sure to have the underlying social tensions that were happening between America and the USSR at the time. And they played it really well, especially in that uh, movie specifically. It was, it's just such a great film as well that it's, you know, had the history of the event happening of the game. I mean, event of the game happening, but also just the social aspect to it. And not only that, I think it's sad, but, um, 
Herb, Herb Brooks dying shortly before the movie came out, I think I think people forget about that, but it added another factor to the movie because the very end they were able to say, you know, he didn't see it. Like, he didn't see the movie, but he lived it. Like, he was the one there. And that's such an awesome ending touch to that movie, I think. I totally forgot about that piece for a little while. But I think that, you know, it was like a nice little cherry on top for the whole film. I agree with you. Miracle is a fantastic hockey movie. And yes, it is one of the few that is based off of a true story and a true hockey story. And it builds off of that. And it's based off of the true hockey story. If you're an American-born hockey fan, especially. Not even over hockey. It is one of the greatest sports, American sports moments in history. Sports, not just hockey, but, you know, all of sports. It's known as the greatest hockey moment ever. And then up there with, you know, sports moments ever. Yes, it was. And I know... When it comes to saying what the best hockey movie is, it might not get a vote, but I just wanted to mention, we have a, a fan from Colorado that tweeted us. His name is Wesley Reed, and he had the question of, have we seen the Mighty Ducks, which obviously we both have, and his other answer is, do you think somebody should be allowed to have a hockey podcast if they haven't seen the Mighty Ducks movies? Well, I just wanted your take on that, Horwat. You know, I mean, to each is their own. If you haven't seen it, you haven't seen it, but... You just know you have to get around to it because it's one of those movies that you rewatch at an older age and you realize how Disney it, <clears throat> excuse me, how Disney it really is. Oh yeah, it is a kid. They are kids' movies, but yeah. at the same time, you don't have to be a kid to watch them. Of course not. They're they're still great movies, good hockey movies. I grew up on them. I grew up on all of these movies that we're we're looking at right now. And to me, the best hockey movie, as much as I love Miracle and it is one of my favorite movies of all time, Slapshot is the hockey movie. Yeah, it is and the, I might be a little biased because I'm from Johnstown where it was filmed, but it is, if you ask most of the players in the NHL right now, Slapshot is the hockey movie. Yeah, it is the quintessential hockey movie. It is the, if there was a movie to put hockey on a map, you could say that was the one, because it is the first one people always go to when you talk about sports movies or hockey movies. It's Slapshot is always in the conversation. It's just the one thing about it is it is not one that ages well. No, <laughs> really you can can't. definitely... You can definitely not put that on public television right now. Yeah, and not <laughs> just even as just is. yeah, and not even just for as is. I mean, the game has changed so much since then too. Like it's not about the hitting as the entertainment anymore. It's not about the fighting and getting crowds and that kind of thing. It really is a much different game too. Yeah, it's about hockey in the seventies, and I think for that point in time, it nailed it. For right now, not as much, but at the same time, for that point in time, the bus rides and everything along with that slapshot was was the hockey movie and it just encompassed what it meant to be a hockey player in the 1970s and I I really enjoy it obviously like I said biased a little bit one of the most underrated in my opinion though is Youngblood I do really like Youngblood and a lot of people don't even know what it is like I, I feel like a lot of our listeners might just say what is, what is, what is Youngblood if you haven't <laughs> seen it look it up it is prime Swayze raw blow action in the in the 80s when it all movies were Swayze and Rob Lowe. It is another one of those, and it's a very good hockey movie. So check it out if you haven't seen it. Horror, have you seen Youngblood? I have not, but I know you talk about it quite often. I do. It's a very good movie. So go check that out. I will try to. I don't know where I'll be able to find it. I'm not good at searching down movies that aren't on an easy platform or my DVD set. I'll, I'll try to send you a link, and I'll find it and send you a link. Yeah. But before we continue, I wanted to talk to everybody about cool hockey. Do you wish you had a better collection of jerseys? If so, we have a great deal for you, courtesy of Cool Hockey and the Hockey Podcast Network. 
For a limited time, if you purchase a jersey on coolhockey.com slash THPN and enter the code THPN at checkout, not only will you get 30% off your jersey order, but you will also be entered for a chance to win 31. Yeah, I said that correctly. 31 free NHL jerseys, one from each team. Again, that's coolhockey.com slash THPN using the promo code THPN for 30% off and a chance at 31 free jerseys. Do not miss out on this opportunity to severely improve your jersey game. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we return, we'll discuss the first round matchups in the old time players region as part of the March of the Penguins Madness Tournament. We will be right back. The push for the playoffs is underway, and while the Penguins will hopefully not be getting a lottery pick, 15 other teams will be, and you can win big for predicting the correct draft order. The Hockey Podcast Network has partnered with Tankathon and Cool Hockey to bring you the first ever NHL Draft Lottery Contest, where the winner will receive a $200 Cool Hockey gift card. To enter, first visit tankathon.com slash NHL, click Sim Lottery until you see an order you think will be correct, and then screenshot your 15-team draft order. Then just visit us at our Twitter page at Iceberg Podcast and comment on our pinned tweet with your screenshotted draft order. All that's left to do is retweet the post and tag two of your friends to be entered for a chance at a $200 gift card to Cool Hockey. Only one entry per Twitter handle. All entries must be submitted by April 8th, and you must be following Tankathon, Cool Hockey, and the Hockey Podcast Network to qualify. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg, episode 51. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Check out all of the episodes of the Tip of the Iceberg on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, really anywhere you get your podcasts from. We are now there with our own individual feeds, so check us out. But what we have left to talk to you about today is the March of the Penguins Madness, installment number two, Horwat. Yes. How excited are you for this installment as we talk about the first round matchups in the old timers division? This is a this is this is gonna be a fun one because these are guys we have not seen very much in our lives, and it's you know, one for the old heads out there so to say it's guys that created this team built the foundation of the penguins franchise that you know has seen all of the ups and downs a lot of the guys we talked about last week have really only seen good times per se granted you know there's the guys that like malkin and crosby that have seen possible like you know departures from the city but these are the guys that fought tooth and nail to keep the team here no matter what in the early you know, 70s, 80s, and all that period, and all that time period, and it's a different region of hockey, I'd say. Completely different, especially you look at the players and the matchups that you're going to see here. We might actually get some upsets in round one, whereas in the new generation first round, we only had one kind of upset. It was nine seed Max Talbot defeating eight seed Darius Kasparitis, and realistically, that could have gone any other way. But other than that, it was all it was all the favorites. Yeah, getting I mean, the winners. Our closest one was the Chris Kunitz, Ryan Whitney, as we expected. Mm-hmm. 52% voted Chris Kunitz, 48% voted Ryan Whitney, and and I guess we should probably just go down through the rest of it. Crosby beat Kennedy 
Like we said, Talbot beat Kasparaitis 62-38. Letang beat Gensel 58-42, another close one there. Dupuis beat Kovalev 65-35. It was close for a while before Dupuis pulled away. Marc-Andre Fleury in the biggest <laughs> whitewash defeated Johan the Moose Hedberg 96% to four. And I'm guessing there was only one vote for Johan Hedberg. That might have been you. Maybe. I mean, that one I feel like if I if we would have, you know, not it had not it had been a goalie matchup, it may have been something different. But it being a goalie matchup, yeah, that's the outcome I expected. Yeah. And l- remaining, we had Matt Murray defeat Phil Kessel 56-44. And Evgeny Malkin took down Martin Strzok at 85-15. So that is the first round of the new generation. Let's get right into the old-timers. Porwat, how about you introduce us our first matchup here in the old-timers division? Oh, it's it's a classic one because these two fed off each other for a couple seasons playing on the same line. It is Le Magnifique. My French is awful, but it's Mario Lemieux against 50-goal scorer Rob Brown. Mario Lemieux, the guy who needs no introduction, two-time Stanley Cup champion, nine-time All-Star, the Rookie of the Year in 1985, three-time Hart Trophy, six-time Art Ross, and a Masterton Award winner in 1992-1993. Then he would go on to be the, you know, owner of the team he would save them multiple times he would return from retirement to put up just as good of numbers i went into i'm going a little bit in depth on my next story on him just for hints of things that he's done in his career it's watching him play with some of these guys was incredible and boy oh boy (laughs) words cannot describe his play it's arguably one of the top players ever to play the game clearly the franchise is built around him and has been forever. Don't know what else to say about him other than he is the perf- the perfect uh, person for Pittsburgh hockey. Yeah, he is the godfather of hockey in Pittsburgh, basically. That's that's one of the ways you, you could describe him. He's the reason they got a new arena. He's the reason they're still in Pittsburgh. And think about the amount of players we've seen in the past couple of years reach that 1,000-game mark. Mario Lemieux never even got to 1,000 games in the regular season. And he still put up all those points. He still put up all those records. He still did all this and all that in such a limited amount of time due to his injuries and due to fighting cancer. So he was remarkable in every sense of the word. And I don't think any of us expect him to be taken out in the first round. But (laughs) Rob Brown, you said it, 50-goal scorer, bookended his career with the Pittsburgh Penguins, knew where he had to finish his career and the place it all began. Of course. Everybody, of course, remembers his 115-point sophomore season we saw it the other day on nbc sports twitter page fifth in scoring that year of course everybody called mario's line mate but you know what mario didn't contribute nothing to that celly that windmill celly that is renowned and i always growing up seeing the dvds of the early 90s penguins seeing highlights of rob brown i always thought he was more of an integral part to those teams which he was. He was over 100 points that season. He had 80 the following season. But I always thought he was a much better player because I thought the Selly was awesome. Yeah, and it's not easy. And it's not hard to get under Ron Hextall's skin, of all people. Exactly. And I thought, you know, this guy, if he's having Ron Hextall chase him. Now, I get Ron Hextall's a hothead or was a hothead. Probably still is. If he got under his skin enough to he went after him, he was probably putting the puck in the net a lot. And Absolutely. Granted, he was. And granted, that did happen in a 19... 19- 89 playoff game so tensions were high and it's philly pittsburgh but rob brown if anybody can pull off the upset maybe rob brown maybe (sighs) but then we we said that about tk 
and it didn't go too well against Crosby. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things you're going up against one of the best players in hockey history. Good luck. We'll see if the fans can have any pity for him and he gets any pity votes. We'll see what happens. I mean, you never know with these kind of votes. I mean, we got Hockey Troll playing in this one, so you do never know. Yes, but remember, Hockey Troll did say at one point he was a Lemieux fan. Renowned Lemieux fan, he Hockey is a, Troll. <laughs> he is a renowned Lemieux fan, so we got to keep an eye out for that. He'll probably give Le Magnifique his his vote. But Brian Trottier versus Pierre LaRouche. I'll talk a little bit about Brian Trottier. It seemed like he played longer than just three seasons in Pittsburgh, didn't it? He meant he meant a lot more to the team than people give uh, his – than. I don't know how to put it. I know what you're trying to say, but he meant more to the team than, you know, his years would show. Yeah. He's more famously known in hockey history as a whole as a New York Islander. He was on that Islanders team that won several Stanley Cups, and by several, I mean four Stanley Cups. Yeah, that's what it was. He won four Stanley Cups with the New York Islanders, two with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he's won a grand total, for those of you who are kind of good at math like me, and can add two and four. That's six total Stanley Cups, which is crazy. Not a number that is often reached by hockey players. It's an incredible thing. And the way I see Brian Trottier is he was the father for the team back in the 90s. He was was the old guy they brought in, and they would win with him. Every championship team the Penguins have had have had that kind of figure. Yeah. Well, who would you say the 2009 one was? Bill Bill Guerin. You'd go with Bill Guerin? Okay. Absolutely. Wasn't Gary Roberts on that team too? No, he was he was already he gone. He was a little at that later. Point. Never mind. He was a little earlier. I think he was he was finally retired at that point, I believe. But Bill Guerin's okay. the guy they brought in. I mean, he Bill Guerin would retire, I believe, the season after. I believe so, yeah, I think it was only a year or two afterwards. Yeah. So these are guys that stick around. And from what I remember, I think, don't quote me on this, I think Trottier would end up being an assistant coach with us for a couple seasons. He did. That's what I thought. Apart from being a deck hockey player in the Pittsburgh area following his retirement, he was an assistant coach at one point for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's also a very good country singer. Nice. We learned that from alumni and cars getting coffee with Phil Bork. Brian Trottier, renowned country singing sensation. So he's taken on Pierre LaRouche. What do you got on Pierre LaRouche? Oh, he's very very similar to a Rob Brown, and his best season was his, was his sophomore season at 111 points in 1975-76. And the way Pittsburgh fans would describe him was that he was the Yager before Yager. Um, you know, he was the guy that everyone loved. He was a phenomenal young kid on the ice, and we've learned it from, you know, the this is I forget what the exact title is, but Pittsburgh is home 50th anniversary video that. Pierre Lewis was very much ingrained in Pittsburgh hockey after a couple seasons. Uh, they put a kissing booth promotion on, so he was part of that, as well as, you know, it's such a very weird, I don't know how to describe it after that, that's just a weird thing, but Pierre Lewis is one of the big original big stars on the team. He played on a team that had the century line on it. Um he was whenever the Central Line was doing their thing. He was the one with his 111 point season, leading the team in points. And he ended up sticking around in Pittsburgh for a little while, joining in on multiple Lemieux golf outings, actually winning a couple of them. And with his four seasons in Pittsburgh, he would rack up 253 points in just 230 games. Yeah, and if at any point during a Pittsburgh Penguins game, the camera pans up to Mario Lemieux's luxury suite box, 
Pierre LaRouche is usually sitting right next to him. Yeah, and it's it's such a weird combination to think about that, that Pierre LaRouche stuck around the Pittsburgh hockey scene to eventually meet and, you know, befriend Mario because, you know, like we mentioned, LaRouche played in the mid to late 70s while Mario came around 1984, 1985. So it's interesting that LaRouche is like the original big star for the Pittsburgh Penguins that, you know, might not be a Hall of Famer, but he stuck around with this team and um, now here he is being probably one of their biggest fans, I would assume. That's <laughs> what it seems like. And you mentioned that kissing booth that kind of is similar. And we talked a little bit about Slapshot earlier, kind of uh-huh, similar yeah. to the fashion show scene in Slapshot. Just whatever it takes to get a little extra capital, I guess, back then. Oh, especially back then, dude. Those were the those were the hard years. Pierre Lewis is around for some lockouts, or not lockouts, for some uh, bankruptcies, bankruptcies, I believe. yeah. You know who else was? Jean Pronovo. Another oh. one of those 70s list of Penguins, 60s, 70s. He's taken on Paul Coffey, Coffee being the four seed, and Jean Pronovo being the 13 seed. Pronovo played an entire decade with Pittsburgh, which a lot of people kind of forget how long his tenure was with Pittsburgh, and that started his mm-hmm. career. He went on to play with a couple other teams. But he played over 750 games with the Penguins, which at that point in time was meant a lot to the city because the team was just starting out and he was that figure that was just there constantly in the early stages. And yes, while the team didn't find much success, he was part of the first ever Penguins playoff team in 1969 and 70, which is a big part of the team's history. Now you look back and okay, maybe a first round sweep and a loss in the second round doesn't mean much, but back then it meant the world to the city of Pittsburgh. And then you also think about the fact that he's seventh all time in Penguins scoring with 603 points. He meant a lot to the city of Pittsburgh. And I think he's the right guy to take on the guy you're going to talk about a little bit, Paul Coffey. Yeah, but I'm just going to touch on Pronovo a little more because I mentioned it with LaRouche. Um, Pronovo was a big stand in on the, the century line that, you know, for four straight seasons along with Lowell McDonald and Syl Apps, who we will get to in a moment, uh, combined for 100 goals. <laughs> um, but Paul Coffey, you know, like we mentioned before, set the standard for Penguin defensemen in just a handful of seasons here. Um, when we acquired him in a seven-man trade in 1987, he would quickly go on to, you know, crush all of the defensive records for Pittsburgh scoring-wise. And that's just what Paul Coffey did everywhere he went. He was one of the best defensemen to ever play the game. Um, he was the first big superstar in Pittsburgh outside of Lemieux. You know, granted, like we mentioned, the Roosh before and Pronovo before, but he was the first one to really be a national name. One that, you know, when traded from Edmonton away from Gretzky to Lemieux, you know, the league took took some notice. They noticed that, you know, this team's trying to do something now. They have one of the best ever in Lemieux and now another one of the best ever in Paul Coffey. You know, you mentioned he's one of the greatest two-way defensemen of all time, which he really is, only with 440 points in just 331 games in Pittsburgh. He helped them win the Stanley Cup in 1991, traded right after that for Rick Tockett, but um, helping the team win a cup, winning their first Stanley Cup, being a huge contributor to it, and being a guy that, I think he was the guy that really cemented Pittsburgh Pittsburgh's place in the league as this is a team to pay attention to and to watch out for because they're making moves they know what they want to do and that's that they want to win they're trying to put those bankruptcies in from the past behind them 
and you know bring in a winning culture and he was a huge part of doing that starting in the late 80s going into 1991 yeah and he was actually traded to the kings for brian benning and jeff chikrin but it was in the same year that the penguins acquired talkett from philadelphia yeah what i thought they tried it for him anyway i could be wrong but yeah and the thing is, point still stands point still stands exactly and the big thing is I don't think anybody realizes how stacked that 1991 and the 1992 team was for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You got a player like Ron Francis, who mm-hmm. was playing second line, sometimes third line minutes. He's the only player in Penguins history that is not named Rob Scuderi that can be named the piece. <laughs> yeah. He was acquired in that big trade. And whenever I was young, I would watch, like you said earlier, we are too young to have been able to watch these guys live. Of course. But at the same time, we've been shown so many videos, so many historical contexts. So while we don't know 100% what it was like to watch these guys, we still have a feel for how amazing it was to watch them and how good they really were. When I was young, I had a 1991 Pittsburgh Penguins Stanley Cup champion DVD. And the big thing that they highlighted in that season was the trade. Craig Patrick trading... John Cullen, Zarly Zalapsky, and Jeff Parker, and getting Francis, Olf Samuelson, and Grant Jennings from the Hartford Whalers. And they highlighted that as this was the turning season. This was Craig Patrick showing the Pittsburgh Penguins are ready to dance for the Stanley Cup. They're ready to compete at a high level for it. And it ended up working out. Francis wins the cup with the Penguins in 91, wins the cup with the Penguins in 92. He won two Lady Bings as a Pittsburgh Penguin. He won a Selkie Award as a Pittsburgh Penguin in the 90s. And he's six on the Pens in all-time scoring. I don't think people understand that he was, even though he wasn't really on the first line all that much compared to a Bob Airy or who else was on here that I'm blanking on right now, Kevin Stevens, who was always on there. But he still produced really well and he played extremely well for the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's a reason he's a hockey hall of famer. There's a reason he's going to be the new general manager of the Seattle totems. Maybe Sockeyes. who knows firebirds, whatever they'll announce it at some point, but he is an all time great in the NHL. He's an all time great for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's our fifth seed. And who is he taking on Horwat? Sill apps, junior, the 12th seed. Um, he was one of the original great players for the team. Again, we mentioned old line mate Pronovo before. Um, the old century line is something that was the original piece for the Pittsburgh Penguin franchise. Scored an even 500 points with the Penguins in just 495 games, which being over a point a game at any point in time, pretty good, I'd say. Um, it was a, like you like your notes say here, fixture in the lineup during the 70s, and a second-generation NHL player of Silaps Sr., Toronto Maple Leafs great, finding playoff success for the well, some of the first times in the franchise's history. He was a big reason, along with Pronovo, that the team found success in, a, in an above 500 st- number. They, weren't, they were making the playoffs before, yeah, only a couple times, but not in a 500 season. But the century line came in and bit, was a big reason why uh, the team was finally able to accumulate, you know, an above 500 record, and start to make their name in the league going forward as it began to expand, bit expand more. And boy, the blue jerseys though—can we just mention that we've gone through all these old guys and the blue jerseys were 
something. Those those were the times. Oh, it was something. Not great, but it was something. That's for sure. Yeah, it was. Everyone got to get their rough start, but yeah, I think that looking back on them, the blue is a. It's pretty to look back on at least, and know that yeah, there was it, some bright spots around there that will be in Penguin lore forever. Like these are guys that, you know, they were the foundation of the generation, and they're huge parts of it. And there's no taking that away from them. If it were between the blue jerseys of back then or the Pittsburgh's third jersey right now, the gold one, the mustard gold one, which one would you take? You know, I like having a third jersey be a completely different color. Okay, so you'd go blue. Cool. Yeah, I like the blue. Okay. I mean, at that point, just bring back the 2008. Yeah, 2008 Winter Classic jerseys. Yeah. The powder blues from Buffalo. And if you want to have the best of both worlds, the Penguins' first jersey ever was the Pittsburgh written down, the written written diagonally, just in blue and dark blue. And that's the oh, one everyone wants idea. to bring back in black and gold. I say make it the blue one. Hey, that'd be pretty cool. You know who else was in those blue jerseys? Our number 11 seed, Rick Kehoe. For a time, he was. Oh, yeah. Fifth in Penguins all-time scoring at 636 points. He won the Lady Bing Award in the 1980-81 season. Played his final 11 seasons with the Pittsburgh Penguins, an entire decade plus one <laughs> with the Pittsburgh Penguins to finish out his career. And again, he was a fixture in the lineup from 1975 to 85. Big part of that team, of course, we remember all these players, the Kehoes, the Apps, the Pronovos. That's, those are names that are ingrained in us from a young age. While we might be told more, tales of the 1990s penguins because of the success these are the players that you should be learning about as well just to learn about the start of the franchise and rick kehoe is another name on that list and he is our 11 seed yeah rick kehoe also you know was able to stick around a little bit longer to be more than just a name you heard about playing in the 80s he was a head coach for a little while maybe not the greatest teams i don't remember which years exactly he coached but i know he was the uh, head coach for the penguins for a couple seasons and and these are like pittsburgh has something about it that these guys stick around We'd mentioned it before. I mean, well, I can't remember. LaRouche stuck around forever. He's still here. He hasn't, still done, here. <laughs> hasn't done much management stuff, but he's around the team, and he's rooting for him. Trottier became a, an assistant coach. So the, it's something about the Penguins. I don't know how to put it. Just they're – I really don't know how to put it. My brain is off today. It's the vibe around the entire organization, I think, is what you're kind of looking for. The vibe yeah. around the organization, it's the fan base, it's it's how much the people of this city care. And sometimes a little too much and a little too extreme in the wrong way. But the city cares a lot, and it means a lot to the players that play here, at least most of them. And it's something that's really good to see that the alumni continue to come back and continue to be present with the current team. And it's really nice, especially for younger players, younger fans as well, that they get to see these guys and they get to hear the stories of these guys and how the franchise really, really began. So who is he taking on in the first round? Taking on none other than Kevin Stevens, who... I believe it's you know Pittsburgh legend Kevin Stevens. Um, he is one of the more interesting players in Penguins history. Played a total of ten seasons here, and his scoring ability was very much a part of his game. You don't remember him much for being able to score, but he you know joined this team and plopped on a line with with Lemieux. And is that not hitting the lottery or what? <laughs> He was here sort to win. Like getting played with Crosby nowadays. Exactly. He was but here like to win. times 10. Oh, absolutely. It was the 90s, and it was a different time, and you knew it was going to be something magical playing with him. He was here to win both Cups in 91 and 92. 
And in the 91-92 season, he scored 123 points, making making him the third person ever to score more points than Wayne Gretzky in a regular season. That stat I did not know until I just read it in front of me. Um, And I'm guessing that's just at the time, obviously. Yeah. That's still an incredible stat to have. And like I mentioned, he played with Lemieux and he won the lottery almost. But even going past that, he was able to continue to be one of the hottest um, players on the team. In the 1993 season, he put up 111 points, you know, still playing along uh, side Lemieux and Yager, which, again, if you want to keep hitting the lottery, you're doing it at this point. That line was known as the Skyline. The documentary got that wrong. Um, yeah, the Skyline of Kevin Stevens, Mario Lemieux, and Yarmir Yager kind of ran the team in 1993 um, as the only President's Trophy team for the Penguins and... Kevin Stevens as a sixth seed, I believe, is pretty respectable. And the history of this team against Rick Kehoe, who, you know, both these guys are necessities for this team's history to talk about and for people to learn about. And Kevin Stevens being around for 10 years is something else. Probably one of the funniest, if not just all-around interesting stat lines to look at. He played 522 games for the Pittsburgh Penguins, scored 555 points, which is already a pretty cool stat line. And then you have to talk about the fact that he had 1,048 penalty minutes is that, as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Is that the most in Penguins history? I would imagine. I'll look it up real quick, but I would think that's probably pretty high on all-time Penguins penalty minutes. From what I remember, I think it it's definitely up there. As to if it's the most, I don't remember exactly. Penalty it's minutes? Kevin, Kevin Stevens. Stevens. Yep. That's the one. I knew it was him. I just wasn't sure. I was double-checking myself the entire time. That is the one big number about him that I think even more shows what kind of player he was, is that it wasn't just a scoring touch. It wasn't just playing alongside Lemieux. It was protecting Lemieux and being the guy that got all the penalty minutes for you. Yeah, and I think he has that. Well, he does have that now. We just looked it up. But it's only for a little while because Evgeny Malkin is in third place, only 88 penalty minutes behind him. So I'm sure (laughs) Malkin will pass him before the end of his career. He's on his way. Speaking of higher seeds in this bracket, like you mentioned, Kevin Stevens being a sixth seed and being really respectable, Tom Barrasso is going to be a third seed. Now, prior to Marc-Andre Fleury, Tom Barrasso was the goalie for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Played 12 years with the team. He led the team in franchise games played, wins, shutouts. Of course, he was wiped out completely by Marc-Andre Fleury, and now he's being approached by Matt Murray as well. Yeah. The one thing that I didn't know about him before I went to do my due diligence and my research and everything is he is the NHL all-time leading point getter as a goaltender. Yeah, I knew that one, and I kind of forgot about it. One day I want to do a little something on uh, how much of a shame it is that he's not a Hall of Famer. You see, he could be a Hall of Famer, but when you spell his last name, Barrasso, you can't spell <laughs> it without ass. And that's exactly why he's not in the Hall of Fame right now, because he was a complete and utter asshole as a human being. He's an asshole to the writers. He was a fantastic goalie, and I'm sure some people really liked him. But from what I've heard and from what I've seen and gleaned on and from the stories I've been told, he was a complete and utter asshole. And that is the reason that he's still not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Maybe he should be. That's a different story for a different day. But as of right now, he's trying to win the March of the Penguins Madness Tournament and... We'll see if he still has enough brownie points. Is that the way we want to put it? If he has enough brownie points with the Penguins fans to see if he can go to the finals in this tournament. But he's not, as of right now, not getting any help with the Hockey Hall of Fame. Who's he taking on in the first round, Horwat? 
He's taking on other possible Hall of Fame snub, Ron Stackhouse. We mentioned Paul Coffey being the original Penguin, the defenseman who set the standard, but Ron Stackhouse was the original Pittsburgh Penguin defenseman. Um, he is third in points behind Latang and Coffey for points by a defenseman. 343 is actually is a respectable number, especially for a defenseman in that time period where you know defenseman not every defenseman was Bobby Orr and not every defenseman like today where they're all for they're all offensive defensemen. He was a guy that was one of was a great two way guy for an era that may not have had two way defensemen. He was one of the first like you mentioned here. Yep, one of the first stars to be a defenseman in Pittsburgh, and you know played nine seasons with the Penguins. It's just one of the names that you hear in lore and you wonder about. Like Ron Stackhouse on the Penguins hockey reference page. He is on the top 12 players of all time. He's listed up there. He's gotten enough. I don't know how they do it, but it says points. He's gotten enough points to be in the top 12 all time. I'd say, you know, he's well-deserved to have a spot on this list. It's not super high, but it's something for him. And it's some sort of recognition that if you want to get deeper into Penguins history, he's a guy you learn about. He's a guy you know about. And you can make a possible Hall of Fame argument for it, I'd say. The person that's supposed to be the original superstar, or was supposed to be the original superstar, is our number seven seed, and it's Michelle Briere. And it's somebody who I don't think enough people know about. And I get that you could have watched the Pittsburgh is Home video, and you could have saw the short, what, three-minute blurb they put on Michelle Briere there. There's Uh, a reason that his number... Oh, what would you say? Yeah, I just forget what it was. It wasn't long, but you were going to probably say everything I was going to. He's the only other person to have his number retired by the Pittsburgh Penguins besides Mario Lemieux for a reason. He might have only played one season with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and his numbers were pretty good. They weren't amazingly outstanding, but for a 19-year-old, they were really good numbers for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the big thing was the future for this kid. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, at the age of 21, he died from a car accident that he had about a year prior. There was a really good story by Steven Nesbitt in The Athletic a couple weeks ago that I read, that if you haven't read it and if you don't know much about Michelle Briere, please go and read it. It is a fantastic read, and it's great to learn about somebody who meant so much to Pittsburgh in just the short amount of time that he was here, and it's a tragedy of what happened to him, but it sheds some light on the finer points of his life and, and the better stories of his life, including helping the team to its first postseason berth and its first postseason series win. He scored the OT winner in Game 4 against the California Golden Seals in 1970, and that gave the Pittsburgh Penguins their first playoff series victory. And it was a sweep, but getting that goal in overtime of Game 4 is forever going to be part of his legacy here in Pittsburgh, and he is the number four seed in our tournament bracket. Number seven. Number seven? Did I say number four? Yep. Oh, sorry. He's the number seven seed. (laughs) That's okay. Um, I'm sure... You would hope enough Penguin fans know the history of Michelle Briere. It's a tremendous, it's a tremendous story, and you mentioned the Stephen Nesbitt piece. It was that was an incredible piece, and it's hard to go against a guy like that because of you know just that kind of story. But here we are with the number ten seed of Larry Murphy, who you could argue one of the better defensemen of all time in the NHL. He played only five seasons with five seasons with the Penguins accumulating 301 points, which is fifth all-time for defensive scoring in Penguins history. You know, he won two of his four Stanley Cups here. I can't remember the other two were. I'm assuming Detroit, because I know he spent a lot of his career there, too, as well. It's something that a lot of the top defensemen, you know, quite a few of the top defensemen in 
the league's history have made their way through Pittsburgh and you know Larry Murphy you know spent a couple more seasons here and was able to win a pair a pair of his Stanley Cups here can't mention Larry Murphy and talk about him long term without mentioning the Murphy dump (laughs) (laughs) which you know Mike Lang coined it um, after him in the 90s described this high sort of dump in that we see quite often that defensemen will do because um, it prevents icing, which it's a good know, idea. Yeah, as a defenseman, you got to get the puck out and not screw your team over. And he figured out a way to do it, which is just <laughs> mathematics when you really think about it. He just got it a little higher, and it slowed it down faster. But angles and protractors and all that stuff that I failed in high school. Yeah, Larry Mur- and Larry Murphy, like I said, one of the best defensemen of all time. You could be argued that he's up there for sure. Um, and then also one of the better ones in Penguin history. Won a couple of cups, only five seasons, and for 301 points for a defenseman at five seasons is an astounding number. That's ridiculous. I mean, just think about the fact that nowadays in five seasons, how many points would Crystal Tang score? Definitely not anywhere close to 301. Yeah. He might I mean, get 250. Might get 250. You could like, do. You you could run the numbers and tell us what you know Latang's best five season stretch is, but it's probably not 301 points. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. He, it, it might be just because there were those early seasons where Latang would go off in points, but it's definitely somebody who's going to be an underrated player and definitely going to be an underdog in this tournament. We'll see how Larry Murphy does it. But one more matchup. I'll let you go first. What's our final matchup looking like? The comeback king, Yarmir Yager, as the number two seed. Of course, because where else would he be in this old-timers bracket but the number two seed? Against 15, Randy Carlisle, who I'll let you take. But Yager, obviously there's no doubt that he's a top-ten player of all time, maybe even top five, because he's you know number two in point scoring, up there in goal scoring. I just can't remember exactly, but he is three. Three, thank you. But he is up there in all of these statistics because his longevity really played a factor. But he played his first, I forget how many seasons exactly, but he played his first large chunk of of his career here in Pittsburgh. We drafted him, and he told other teams he wasn't going anywhere, but he wanted to play with Mario Lemieux. And Yager became maybe the fourth best Pittsburgh Penguin of all time. Going, I see what you did there with your notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, clocking back to my story where I said he's going to be the fourth best at some point because Malkin's going to take him over. Right as of right now, he's still the third, I'd say. But, you know, he's up there. He's up there as one of the best Penguins of all time and one of the most important pieces for the team and not just because, you know, he was a rookie and a sophomore um, during those first two cup runs in 91 and 92, but for what he meant to the team afterwards when Lemieux would retire or be injured, Yager's the one that stepped his game up and became the top one of the top players in the league, you know, at some point giving you know Gretzky runs for his money and you know winning a couple of Art Rosses and a couple of hearts and being one of the best players to ever play the game getting his start in Pittsburgh saving the franchise with a couple of great moments in a New Jersey series in 2001 2000 I'm blanking on everything but yes he is gonna be the next person to get his jersey retired in Pittsburgh it's just a matter of Yager officially retiring from you know his his game of hockey in the Czech Republic so that'll be something to see one day it'll just all depend on all that 
but he's got some stiff competition in Randy Carlisle. Who I think is the most underrated player in this bracket as a 15 seed. Underrated. Extremely underrated. And we're not even going to count his head coaching because then he probably wouldn't even make the bracket. Yeah, true. But as a player, he played six seasons with the Pittsburgh Penguins in the late 70s, early 80s. But there's one thing that makes me think he's vastly underrated in this bracket. In however many seasons that Paul Coffey played for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know what he never did as a Pittsburgh Penguin? Never won a Norris Trophy. Correct. And that is something that Randy Carlisle did in the 1980-81 season. He's a Norris Trophy winner for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So you talk about your Ron Stackhouses. You talk about your Chris Letangs, your Paul Coffees. But let's put some respect on the name of (laughs) Randy Carlisle, who's fourth in all-time defensive scoring for the Pittsburgh Penguins, scored 323 points with his time in the Steel City. And, of course, like I mentioned, the Norris Trophy winner. Now he's going up against Yarmir Yager, and you you rattled off that list of all the great things Yager has done, and I think it's going to be really hard for him to win, but underrated. You never know. Yeah. Dark no. horses. Maybe some Pittsburgh fans still have some unmitigated hatred towards Yager. Who knows? <laughs> we'll there, see. There's definitely that small group that do, but it's something. And Randy Carlisle is probably one of the best, like, fun trivia questions for – yeah, for Penguin fans, who was the only defenseman in Penguin history to win a Norris Trophy? Because then you start running down the names. You're thinking Latang, Coffee, Murphy, Stackhouse, even Dave Burrows. But no, it's former Ducks head coach Randy Carlisle. <laughs> and former Maple Leafs head coach Randy Carlisle. Yeah, all the, all the teams he's coached. Didn't fare too well in any of them. Exactly. But once again, we are going to be posting all these polls on our Twitter page, at Iceberg Podcast, in a thread attached to our pin tweet, just like it was for the last round so please go out and vote please tag your friends get all your favorites to the mm-hmm. finals and just try to get as many votes on your players as possible because it is going to be a lot tighter i feel than the new generation players i just yeah. feel like there's a lot of a lot of closer matchups here in the older generation so it'll be interesting to see after this week especially it'll be it'll get tight cuz not only will the pool get a little smaller uh, we got we got interesting things coming up in the next two episodes it's not players anymore well there are some players but we have well. the personnel and the voices and characters yeah so it's going to be real interesting it's going to be fun yeah it's going to be a trek now that um like we mentioned the network's down to one episode a week but mm-hmm. we thank you all for being here for this and i'll try and write the best damn stories i can out of this because there's a lot of blood sweat and tears going into it <laughs> Now, a couple more things, house cleaning, before we go. Like I mentioned a little earlier in the show, there is a new show in our network, our 34th podcast. It is called the House of Hockey Podcast, and it is hosted by Breezy and Ray Ray. Please tune into their first episode, which is out now. You get to know them. Somebody from Pacific Rink was their guest. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it right now, but please go check them out. Go favorite them, subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts, and listen in. It's a really good first episode, and I'm excited to see where it goes from there. Also, Tales with TR, some good news for him. He will be moving to two episodes per week. So if you like Terry Ryan, if you like the stuff he's been putting out, you get that much more. That will be released on Tuesdays and Fridays. So get ready for a heaping helping of Terry Ryan on the Hockey Podcast Network. That will be all for this one. You can follow Horwat at NickHorwat41. And you could follow me, if you so choose to, at Nick underscore Berlansky. You could also follow the show's Twitter handle, at Iceberg Podcast. The tip of the iceberg can be found anywhere you get your podcast from. So please, if you would, 
and you really like us, please subscribe <laughs> and rate us on Apple Podcasts to show support. We love every bit of feedback that we get from you guys. And, of course, the tip of the iceberg is brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can follow them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. Every team, everywhere. We'll see you guys next week.